Welcome to the Great Bay's Tennis Podcast, episode 151. We're fortunate to have Nicole Erickson here. She was on the podcast before, episode 112. You can go back and listen to that. That one was about the player, the athlete. This is one about the parents of the athlete. She has a new course, the parents of the champion. Welcome, Nicole. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. The world of podcasts. Um, yeah, let's just start right with your new course. Tell us about the new course, uh, Yvonne. Osaretz and I've listened to it, gone through it. So the new course, um, working with so many youth athletes, I would often get parents that were looking for resources to help their athlete as well and to, you know, have more backing behind things that they're saying, taking pressure off their athlete, building their athlete's confidence. Uh, and so I took what I learned in school, um, through research, and I put together a course, an at-home course, because I felt like that would be easy, um, accessible to parents, and also more comfortable um, to go through the course. And so really the layout of that was first things first is giving them some sort of grounding technique to help them in those moments where the emotions are very high um, and to just kind of center themselves, bring them back to the moment. Uh, And so that is in the first module. And then from there, it's really diving into, you know, knowing themselves to help their athletes and there they'll talk, they'll learn about and self-reflect on their past performance, uh, their investment in their child, the hopes and fears for their athlete and how that affects the way, uh, that they, you know, have a relationship with their athlete, how they respond and react to different situations. The next module is on, you know, what do you want to represent as a parent and really learning about the different parenting styles, being more informed about that, figuring out as a parent, what you want to do, I really just give the information. And then also what are those values, um, for you? What really matters deep down in your heart and how does the parenting style that you chose and the values that you have aligned together to, um, really help your athlete and teach them, uh, what you care about. And then from there it's communication. So taking what you've learned from the self-reflection, And also, you know, what truly matters to you and how you want to be as a parent and communicating that to your athlete. And I teach different skills within that from active listening to modeling to feedback and reinforcement. And then there's a nice wrap up module at the end. So lots of content to go through. Um, I know parents are very busy, but uh, it's, it's full of really great, great information. With with Nicole, we do this now in the beginning, do at the end. Uh, Let me... Um, go through uh, how I know Nicole is she's a mental performance coach at FM, the FM performance center here in Boynton beach, Florida. And she's worked with a number of players. I know uh, one, uh, I really don't like credibility, credibility. How's it go? Credibility doesn't mean you're truthful. It means you're believable. I always tease and say the tennis business is a credibility business, but Here's a, here's a shot for credibility. Uh, one of the players uh, of ours that you've worked with uh, secured a number one ranking last year in the country. That's not make an understatement, easily done. Another player is uh, uh, in England right now as we speak for uh, Junior Wimbledon. I know a couple of Canadians are ranked two in the country that are going to represent Canada this summer. Um, 
this ties into the course, but your time at FM and, and time before that, do you actually have sessions? I know you now have a course for parents, but when you have sessions, are they open sessions with the player and the parent and then together? Mm-hmm. So they do that, but then just with the parents by themselves? Is it, is it the, the player is not there? So, so, so that's a really great question. So it, it all depends on uh, the wants of the, the client. So at times, uh, every package that I present to youth athletes, there is the opportunity within those packages to have parent meetings. Um, and those are 30 to 30 minute parent meetings. And so I do meet with parents if they take advantage of that within the package. I also have parents that will sit in on sessions so that they can really, you know, learn from their athlete about what the athletes experiencing and how they can, better help and reinforce what we talk about. Uh, But again, it all depends on what the parent and the athlete want. I have some parents that are um, very removed because they want their athlete to, you know, be open and trusting of the relationship. And they feel like the best way to do that is to just hear about, Hey, what skills are you doing? Okay, great. How's it going? Good. Great. Uh, there's other parents that want to be more involved and I think there's a benefit to all the options. And what about, um, parents combined? Fortunately, when you, in in our world, when you meet a junior tennis player, most of the time you meet two parents. So I always say, yeah, I think I've met twice as many parents as I have players. But the parents of uh, just having one parent, I think if you mentioned people are time poverty, they're so busy. Do you find it a lot of times you're dealing just with one parent? Yeah. And not, yes. not both? Yes. Yeah. It's usually I'm in communication with one. There are, I've had like a few where I am working, the, the, the parents will switch off. Like mom will come one session, dad will come another session, uh, or we're in, a, we're in a group text all together or a group email uh, where we're all talking um, or a phone, the phone meetings where the mom and the parent or the mom and the dad are on the call as well. So again, just really depends on the parents' needs. I think the benefit of having both parents, if they're really involved in wanting to communicate with me and, and learn more, uh, it's best to have both uh, because then they're, you know, just better communication, direct communication. Um, from our notes, uh, values. Yes. I touch upon values. Yes. So values are really interesting, you know, in life and in sport, especially business. I mean, really anything. It's very results based. And we're always, I mean, we were talking about this before we started the call, right? Standards and expectations, Um, And we tend to focus a lot on the results and we tend to really become motivated by results. And in reality, we don't have control over those. We don't. We don't have control over the results. We have an opponent. I can't control how many clients I get because if I did, I'd I'd be making lots and lots of money, right? So we don't have control of the results. All we can do is the best that we can do. And so what values really helps us with is to find a motivation within and direction from within because your values are something that matters truly, truly deep down. It's going to sound cheesy, but truly deep down in your heart. Okay. The opposite of this, and I say this in the course, is usually when something you're really bothered by, by some, by, that someone else does, that, that, is a, that is a signpost for a value. 
right? So something that really, like for me, for instance, uh, something that really irks me is I am very direct and honest. And so when someone is, you know, beating around the bush and exaggerating a little bit and probably not telling the truth, it it really... (laughs) really agitates me. So what values do is it gives you direction to live out to be the person that you want to be. Um, and that really, it lights a fire inside you because you're, you're living the life that you want. You're living out, uh, what matters to you. And so that's that new motivation rather than, you know, if you're not getting those results, but you're, you're being that person, it's still fulfilling. You're living out that purpose. Oh, that's great. Um, Non-judgmental view. Yes. Comment on that. Non-judgmental view. So what I like to say for non-judgmental view is compassion, curiosity, and kindness. We tend to judge very much all things, all things, ourselves, others, situations, and it's easy and it's quick and it's reactionary happening constantly. And so a non-judgmental view is when you're really learning how to find compassion within yourself, um, toward others and toward yourself. Right. Um, and so really that's going to help with, uh, the communication. It's going to help with ourselves when we're self-reflecting and being aware of things that we're doing, whether they are good or bad. I'm putting up the air quotations. Um, and that's really what we want because if we're able to have that non judgmental view, compassion toward ourselves, we're going to be more honest with ourselves. We're going to be able to reflect and see what needs to be changed, what change needs to happen what things we need to do more of because they're so, it's great, right? And then from there, we're also teaching our kids how to have that non-judgmental view as well. Um, one thought from the course is, yes. you know, aligning the, the parental style or parent styles, mm-hmm. two styles with values. Yes. Um, the parents uh, many times have different approaches. Yeah, yes. And... Why don't you comment on that a little bit? So the parenting styles, there's four different parenting styles. And what's so important and why the course is so great is you really dive into and learn about what those four are. And then from there, you kind of reflect on, you don't kind of, you do. You reflect on what you fall into. Now, these aren't like stable, right? It's not, um, it's something that fluctuates depending on the situation. So you may, parents may resonate with multiple they may say, oh, well, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm the strict, strict parent, authoritarian. Sometimes I'm the supportive parent, the authoritative parent, right? Um, or the friend parent. Uh, and so it fluctuates, but knowing what you really want to truly lean into and then also how does that, again, align with those values, what truly matters to you is so important because, you know, if you're the authoritative parent, the strict parent, those tend to be, you know, lots of control. Um, if you do something wrong, no, not good. Like there is a consequence, um, and you have to go by you have to go by the rules, right? Uh, authoritative is more uh, the supportive parent. There are rules, but there's flexibility. Where it's 
all right, so let's talk it out. What's, what's going on there? So then you look at your values, right? And authoritarian, you know, probably honest, probably respect, those values fall under that, right? And so it's how, how can you live out your values through your parenting style? Because if you're kind of doing the opposite, if you're like the friend parent, but you value respect, you know, you could find that in there, but depending on the level of respect you're looking for and you're the, the friend parent that has not many boundaries or rules, it's, it's going to be confusing for the child. Oh, I mean, to make an understatement, um, parenting is not easy. No. With, um, you know, just, just the clarity, the, the, the consistency, the, the message. Um, you talk a little bit about it where it's not really the scoreboard. Um, and it has, it has to start from the beginning. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. And it's, it's tough. I like your comment there about, you know, one, parenting is not easy. Two, it is inconsistent. But I think, you know, as, as a parent, having that awareness, or even as a coach, as a person, having that awareness of when you're being consistent and pointing it out to the child or to the person that you're in a relationship with, right? Um, that's going to bring clarity. That's going to say, Hey, I know that, you know, I said this and now I'm doing this. It's going to bring clarity and communication to the situation. And it's going to show that I'm not perfect. None of us are right. And then from an early age, like you were saying, as far as results go, that's tough too. And I think that ties into that first, well, technically second module, knowing yourself to help your athlete, because it talks about investment. It talks about your hopes and fears for your, for your athlete. And if you really think about that, parents, we already talked about it, the time that they spend with their, you know, taking their athletes all around the money, the emotional investment, the fears that they have, because a lot of parents will come to me and say, I see my athlete working so hard and it devastates me to see them not having fun or not performing as well as I know that they can. And they're upset about it. So there is, there's fear in there. And so once you're able to, to figure out what that is, um, I think you'll, you know, as parents, as anybody, again, um, it's easier to say, let's just focus on the growth. Let's focus on the development rather than the results. Yeah. Does it, how's it go where, um, do you have to win to have fun? Mm-hmm. Or, or it's fun, fun to win. From just the get go, working with parents, uh, I've heard so many times that you know, kids don't come with directions. Do you find that parents sometimes are not even aware of what their style is, or they they just kind of know that they're authoritative or submissive, supportive? Yeah, um, I would say most of the time, from the conversations that I've had. Uh, in between, in between, like I, I've had parents where they tell me they're, they're sitting in front of me and they say, you know, previously I was this way and I wasn't aware of it, but then I saw my, I heard myself on a video or I recognized it later on. And I know now that that hurt my athlete and we need to, we need to figure this out. And so I think 
uh, those big moments, those, those light bulb moments help parents to recognize where they're at. Um, and again, I think it depends on the, the person, but I think sometimes it's hard to know, to know, you know, that's why we, even in sport, that's why we film ourselves. So you could see your body language. So yeah. you could see what decisions you're making on the court because you can't, <laughs> you can't remember what you're doing. I remember I'd get off the basketball court and I'm very self-critical and I'm a perfectionist and I would get off the court and I, all I'd remember was everything that I did wrong. And my parents would be like, you, you scored, you, you stole the ball. You scored a bunch. Like, what are you talking about? I'm like, no, I did everything wrong. <laughs> you know? So I think, I think that, um, yeah, it's tough. It's tough to know, know what we're doing, uh, at times and to be, to be self-aware. With parents, um, I think back about my father. He used to have one, it seemed like he had one question for me. I'd be fooling around and not doing homework. And he would just ask me, when do the report cards come out? My, my question would be, do you think there's uh, so many complexities that the kids become confused because the parents may be really easygoing about everything but, say, the scoreboard winning? And so their, their parenting style, you know, away from the, the court, the field, the ball game, it may be very easy going, but then all of a sudden they were just Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would say that would be very confusing, right? Cause it's inconsistent. It's yeah. inconsistent. And, but and again, that's, that's why I think the self-reflection and the self-awareness is so important and knowing like, again, your investment and your hopes and fears for your child. Cause I think that's really where it, it, it probably stems from or your past performance. You know, I know, that I don't have kids, but I was an athlete that had parents. And I know that when I get older, if my, if my kids even want to play sports, I hope they do. I'm going to put them in sports. <laughs> you know, if I have to be aware of my, my performance story, cause it, it's a tough one. I didn't, I didn't achieve what I wanted to. And I know I could have, I know I could have, um, but I, it just wasn't in the cards for me, I guess. I don't know, you know, two ACL injuries later in high school made it a decision that I wish I was more informed about. I wish I did more research on, um, and I didn't go play in college. And so I didn't achieve that. And so I know that's going to come up for me or surface for me when my athletes are, um, going through that. And to be honest with you, it's, it's something that I have to manage when I'm working with my athletes currently. I have athletes that are high school athletes that are looking to go to college, that are going into college, that have committed recently. And as they're talking to me about those things, as a mental performance coach, I have to manage my stuff and pretty much like leave it out so that I can do my job properly. Right. Um, So, and it's tough. It's tough. We touched upon this in our podcast on brain typing where the athlete, you know, we always say they, they can be the uh, ping pong ball going back and forth between one parent and the next because the styles mm-hmm. are contra- contrasting. Mm-hmm. Um, having um, players, not the athlete, not become the master manipulator where they work one parent against the other. Uh, your course, parents of champion people going through that. 
I would think the the awareness level. So everybody, it's right as you said, transparency. That's on the table, and, and people know the cards. And you know, this is the way this is the way I am, and I know I need to be. The parent needs to be aware of that as well. Both parents, mm-hmm. and then they have to work together. Mm-hmm. Which also can be tough at times, but I think also not only an awareness, but the that communication module is so like gold. It's gold because it teaches you how to communicate in a more productive manner. Uh, talk a little bit about verbal, nonverbal. You touched upon that. You mentioned it briefly. Yes. So actually, to everyone's surprise, 50 to 70% of our communication is nonverbal, which is pretty, pretty wild. But verbal communication is what we're doing right now, uh, speaking to one another. Uh, nonverbal gestures with our hands, which I'm doing a lot of, facial expressions. Uh, and, and if you really think about it, especially with tennis, a lot of kids that I see look over at their parents, they're looking for those nonverbals. Athletes that play team sports, they're looking over their coaches or their parents, and they're looking at those nonverbals. Yeah, I think in practice, when, and, and families are smaller and smaller, mm-hmm. with when there's just constant eye contact, yeah. it's, you know, separation anxiety mm-hmm. is, you know, I think that's understandable in um, early childhood development classes. You know, when a five-year-old is looking, looking for mom, looking for dad. Yeah. But as, as the child gets o- older, I, I, I can definitely see where people, um, in various sports, like in tennis, where you have the, the, the 20 seconds in between. Mm-hmm. I've seen in a sport, you grew up and you could comment on that basketball. I don't really think of basketball players looking in the stands to make eye contact with their parents. You'd be surprised. You'd I, I, I'm sure. I'm sure they do it, but it's not. Yeah, they shouldn't not do as, it. Yeah. No, you don't have much time to do it, but right. they do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. With, um, but no, I mean, I've, I've always heard seventy percent, and um, you know, I tell I tell tennis parents try to be the furthest parent from the fence. Yeah. Be behind everybody else. Yeah. And then also, if you you could be a tennis parent where. Uh, you're really doing well. It's like an umpire who goes unnoticed. Mm-hmm. If you're at a tournament and no one knows that you're the parent, you're you're doing a very good job. <laughs> With, um, so the the child will have all sorts of negative self talk. Mm-hmm. Um, you think many times that's a reflection, or just because that comes to the negativity from the inner circle from the parents? Could be. You know, it could be. I mean, I could count the amount of times today where I was, I've like said out loud when something didn't go my way, whether it be, you know, a text that I wasn't happy that I got to me just dropping my phone and me saying, oh my goodness, what idiot or, you know, whatever. Yeah, right, right. right. Just natural. So just natural. It's just a reaction. But yeah, they see that and it's like, okay, well, this is what I do, right? Um, Now, some of it can come environment. Some, you know, some they might see from people on the court next to them while they're practicing, and they pick up on it. Um, you just, you never know what they see on TV as well. Uh, so there's a lot of a lot of things, but I think that you know they're around the parents the most, and so in communication, I talk about modeling, and modeling is you showing the behavior so that they can observe it. 
So if you are wanting your athlete to talk more positive to yourself, try to go back on and recognize your negative self-talk out loud, right? Maybe it's in traffic and you're in the car (laughs) and someone's cutting you off or something or you, you know, whatever. um, And you're yelling, right? Let's try to bring that back a little bit. Um, Also, when you do it, that's also a really, really great way to teach. You do, you make the mistake, what you're not wanting them to do and say, hey, look what I just did. One, I made a mistake. I, sh- I probably shouldn't be doing that. What else, what else could I say right now? Or what else could I do? And then you could problem solve together. And they're learning how to manage those situations. You're teaching them how to, how to do that. And it's, again, it's harder said than done. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what teaches, teaches them. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard many people at sports banquets, they get up and go, well, I'll try to make it short and sweet, but uh, I'll at least make it short. I can't, I'm not capable of making it sweet. I talk about over-communicating versus just being simple to the point. So I feel like that's tough too, depending on the person, depending on the situation. Um, I think knowing you know, what you want to get across and explaining it in a way that makes sense. I know, I remember this was in undergrad. I was part of this. um, I was a manager for intramural sports. And so we had tons of training that we would do because essentially we were, I was hiring referees. I was training referees. uh, I was managing the night so there would be like two or three of us on at the fields at the basketball courts and if anyone was getting rowdy we had to kick them out we had to make sure everyone that was on the courts was supposed to be there that front desk was doing the right things that the refs we were evaluating refs all all, all this stuff i remember we did this activity for one of the trainings and we had they had us in groups and they said okay you're gonna write instructions on how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and we're like oh what? Okay. So we, we write in our groups and they take the sheets from us and they pretend like they have the peanut butter and jelly, all the ingredients in front of them. And they start reading and it's like, okay, put the peanut butter on the bread. And they're like, you know, the guy, the, our, our boss was exaggerating, but he starts like scooping it with his hand and pretending like he's putting the peanut butter on the, you know what I mean? And, um, so just like little things like that, like learning how, to be more direct with something so simple, right? It's like, uh, I'm trying to think of examples. I mean, you might know some from coaching, right? You just have to be so specific. Uh, and I think the more specific you are, the more simplified it can be, right? Kiss, keep it simple, stupid. Uh, but if you're someone that over communicates, which I, I tend to do, I feel like I'm doing it right now. Um, <laughs> you can, <laughs> You can uh, really learn learn how to uh, to narrow it down or figure out how to to bring it down uh, once you realize how you're over communicating. Oh, we could come back to well, so many things, but the exposure that you'd have in that setting, I can for our listeners just get a visual on you know intramurals and all the different sports and the athletes, and you think about oh, you mentioned the referees and this and that. But in the tennis world, I know tennis coaches listening is you can ask your, your players, myself in a little bit of trouble with this, but it, it it's, could be a negative, is you can ask some tennis kids, what's a PBJ? And they wouldn't, may not even know. Yeah. That's one question. What's a peanut butter, PBJ, PBJ, PBJ? <laughs> peanut butter and jelly. 
but then ask, do they know how to make a peanut brown jelly sandwich? Uh, a few insiders would remember this, but it wasn't too many years ago where a player asked me for peanut butter and toast. They asked me, do you put the peanut butter on first or do you put it on after the toast <laughs> pops out of the toaster? And, oh boy. and that type of question just lets you know that they've never made peanut butter and toast. That, that <laughs> mom, in this case, you know, you pick on dad too. That mom, right. That's where mom does everything. Um, I think that, you know, communication is obviously going to be a two-way street. But I like the segment in your course where be ready to listen, active listening. Talk about that where the parents, they need to... Uh, stop and be reflective okay and do a better job listening why you mm-hmm. expand upon that yeah so active listening uh is really being engaged in the conversation to where you can repeat back what has been said in a different way uh and now i feel like a lot of times for us it's really easy to be on our phones uh, while we're talking to someone, it's really easy to be reading something. Uh, it's really easy to be watching the TV and trying to talk, whether it's like the athlete on the phone or watching the TV or you are on the phone watching the TV, right? So making sure just to put those down and making eye contact with each other. And again, goes back to modeling. If you are showing how to active actively listen make eye contact, which I know all parents want their kids to do. It's going to teach them how to do it, but you got to do it. It, You, you want to make that eye contact. You want to show them what to do and what your, what your standard is. Um, and then also repeating back. I mean, I, I got training in it, right. But I can tell you the amount of times one athlete in particular comes to mind where, I'll give a summary. They'll go on for like 20 minutes and I'll give a summary of what they said. And they're, they're like, they can't believe how I just repeated back pretty much everything that they've said. And so to be able to do that and really be engaged in the conversation, just, it opens, it opens them up even more because they know that what they're saying is of value to you. You know, the, the eye contact over the years, we've made it really a point to when a young athlete meets a parent uh, of another, another athlete, they meet a coach, you know, mm-hmm. shake hands, yeah. have eye contact, not to look down and give the handshake becomes the dead fish. Right. Right. Um, it, it's just amazing. I, most parents are like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But I've had in lots of years of experience. I've had a, a time or two where the parents were upset that we were, teaching their child to do something so basic like though that's my job you just teach tennis okay but it's no no it's it's really all one i mean i think that's what people really need to understand Mm -hmm. that um yeah is 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 it 50 50 but i do think that um for the parent many times the the child you, you would know because you've had so many sessions with one on one sessions especially with players that the parent doesn't, the, the child doesn't have, the, the athlete doesn't have anything to say. They're just, they're just emotional and they're, they're locked up, you're shut down and they're not ready to communicate. Mm-hmm. But I think also too, when you talk about that is picking the right time to communicate. Definitely. There's always the right time. 
Right. There's, there's always, there's always a, or a better time, I guess you could say. And that's really, which you all know your athletes best parents, um, understanding when it is best to talk about, you know, difficult, difficult moments. But I think too, you know, a big thing is silence, which I talk about in the course as well. You know, especially with younger athletes, but even older athletes, they take by giving them silence, which is literally you ask, if you're asking a question uh, and you're waiting for them to respond and you just are quiet. You know, I see that um, it gives them the time to think about their answer because a lot, you know, I think a lot of the times, and I could be completely wrong, but a lot of the times they're just trying to figure out the right way to say it in the correct answer. Because, because that's what we've been like programmed to do. All of us, all of us, right. we gotta be right. We can't be wrong. One, because we're afraid of getting in trouble or we're afraid of getting embarrassed. Right. So we have to think about the right way to say it. And so I think that, like I said, it's important to know when the right time is to talk with the athlete and to engage in, in specific topics. But then two, when you do engage in those topics, using that technique of, you know, silence is so powerful because again, you're giving them time to really think about, think about their answer, think about what you said. Um, and then guess what? When they respond, you could use silence yourself to think about and process your answer. And it's amazing what just giving them that time to sit with, um, really allows the conversation to go. I think ideally in tennis, is to give a kid 24 hours. You know, they've played yeah. win or lose, you know, go through maybe a few things. Mm-hmm. Um, just, just the norm, a, you know, as long as it's a great effort, great attitude. Yeah. But that expression, silence is golden. Yeah. Is very, very, very appropriate. Yeah. Um, I think what happens many times in, in the world of junior tennis is kids will survive the storm. They know they have unconditional love. You know, the parents aren't going to, you know, uh, no food, sleep in the garage. Right. You know, it's, it's, right. No. it's the dark cloud is not as dark as they think, but they, they, they survive the storm and they know the storm will come again. Mm-hmm. And, and many times because of that, they, they don't make the change. Today on TV, Roger Federer is a tournament in Germany at tune-up um, Halla for Wimbledon. And he won it 10 times in a row and he's there. I've read so much about Roger Federer, like everybody in the tennis world. And there was many times where he would misbehave as a kid and there'd be a ride home, just, you know, playing tournaments, you know, within Switzerland. Yeah. And he would say it would just be total silence in the car. Really? You know, the parents were on the same page and, um, you know, instead of saying anything, and that, that many times can be much more powerful. Mm-hmm. Here, here's another thought with those car rides is uh, the great Wayne Gretzky. And I had a chance to observe his father in person in Brantford, Ontario. But wow. um, Wayne Gretzky was told, you know, you have God-given talent. And his father's name, Wally, said, no, I don't have God-given talent. I have Wally-given talent. <laughs> and it wasn't a sacrilegious comment. It's just that his father, um, you know, was there for his upbringing in ice hockey and upbringing in life. Right. But easygoing Wally, according to his son, is that you know, win or lose, you know, it was like smoke was coming out of his ears. And if the car ride was one hour, if the car ride was four hours from 
you know, from the beginning of the trip to the end of the trip, he constantly was coaching him. And I think one of the reasons Wayne Gretzky is, is great is he was, he was uh, zoomed in on that. It was like, okay, this is it. It's kind of like Maria Sharapova said many years ago, and her father, Yuri, was a screamer. Yeah. And said, I figured out a long time ago, my father's for me, not against me. And I, I, you could comment on that. I think so many young tennis players become the victim. Their parents are, they're working harder than the kid. Yeah. And they're making so many sacrifices. Yep. And the kid doesn't realize that, you know, they're your biggest fans. Mm-hmm. Why do you want to comment a few things on that? Well, I think that's the toughest part. I think that's the hardest part. And I, I think that ties into, you know, the feeling not like on the parents end, not feeling appreciated. And, and wondering, you know, how, how can I get more out of my athlete? How can I help my athlete? How can I feel more appreciated for everything I'm doing for them, for being their biggest fan? And that is, that is tough. That is so tough. Um, and, you know, I think that, again, knowing who you are. In this, in this course, I don't tell you what course, sort of parent to be. I just give you the information and you choose. And you take the you take the skills at the end on the communication and use it as you, as you will. Um, but I think figuring out ways to, to figure out, figure that out. I think the communication is going to help you to, to open up that, to feel more appreciated. Um, but also, you know, we're starting so young athletes are starting so young and the expectations of, you know, 12 year old to, or eight year old or, 15 year old. I mean, when I was 15, I definitely appreciated my parents, but did I really show that as much as I probably could? No, I was 15, (laughs) you know, same as when I was 12. I mean, I show it now. I tell you that I show it now, but back then I was, I was giving my parents a run for their money, even though they were, you know what I mean? It's just, they're young. So to it's, but that's tough as a parent, because like you said, they're running all over the place. They're putting in more work for for their kid to be able to do a sport um, so that they can play. And then when the results aren't there, you know, where is that invest where is that return on the investment? Where is that appreciation? Or what what does that even look like for the parent? You know, so I think I think the 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 purpose behind the course is more so to bring clarity and to help. It's not really to tell you had a parent because I think the parent athlete relationship is so unique and difficult because I don't know. I don't know what goes on at home. I don't know. Exactly. I don't know. You know, I don't, when the parents sit in on the sessions, I'm talking more to the kid than I am the parent. So I only know so much and I get an hour with them. So you all know each other best and you all know how to, or can learn, or know, or both, um, how to to manage that relationship best. And these are just this is just information and skills to help you to help that make make it better. You know. Here's a short story you could comment on. Um, I just listened to John McEnroe, mm-hmm. and his two brothers are graduates of Stanford. He went one year. I mean, he was a Wimbledon semifinalist before he went to Stanford. And he, he was saying, that he, he get a, you get a visual on it, listen to the commencement speech. 
but he said, you know, speak up, and even with your parents, uh, to say, you know, to, to be able to take a stand. And he said, okay, there's a meeting. And, said, you know, and, you know, McEnroe's mother, um, this is not an anti-Semitic remark. She was Jewish, and I've said for years that the Jewish moms are the best coaches in the world. They cultivate achievement. You're going to be a doctor, a lawyer, an accountant, or you will die. And then the dad, a uh, tough Irishman who had to work nights to go to become a lawyer and such, but the dad was, you know, really a yeller and screamer. And, and the mom, you know, like, you know, why'd you get a 95 on the test? You know, why didn't you get a better score? Right. And McEnroe, the rage of perfection, and he, 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 he didn't want to get an A. He wanted to get the best, best score in the class. Yeah. But he... He said what came out of the meetings, and fun stories, he said, uh, the dad said, well, I just want you to get a scholarship and represent your country. And then McEnroe goes, yeah, but I'm only 12. <laughs> um, why don't you circle back and just talk about, what, what do you think as far as blending the different styles? You think, you think people pull that off, or you're just, you find yourself, you know, and obviously it doesn't put someone in a box, but do you think that... Um, from your course and just reflective thought that people can try to take the best of each tile? Yeah, I do. I do. I think, I think if it's done well, because again, you don't want to confuse the athlete, like going back to the question that you had as far as, um, you know, if they're, if the styles don't align or they're jumping from style to style, will it be confusing? It can be. It can be. And that's what you just want to be weary of as far as if you're, if you're trying to take the best from every, every style. Um, but I think there's, you know, magic within that. If you can, if you could be the friend parent while still having, you know, some rules and then also having like a good bit of control, but still flexibility. I mean, I, I feel like, and I could, I, this is just me more like giving my opinion, but I feel like the, uh, authoritarian, which is like very much in control, uh, very much involved, uh, like their way or the highway kind of parenting. And then the, the friend parent where it's like no rules, like just want to, like, I just want to be your friend. Like, I just want you to like me. I feel like the authoritative, the supportive parent is kind of like a combination of both of those. Because the authoritative, there are rules, there are boundaries, but there's flexibility within that. Um, they're highly involved, and they they want high achievement for their kid, but you know they're um, they're open to listening to their athlete. So I feel like that's a combination of the two. And then the absent parent, I I really I would advise against the absent parent. Um, and that's like any research really would say that, which is the fourth one. Um, so, yeah. I think with the curriculum that we have, the pathway, especially in early childhood development, fundamentals. I mean, again, you've worked with athletes from so many sports, so you could touch upon that. But like, say, for example, the grip of a lifetime. Hang on to the racket this way. Have the, the swing go this way. And these are the directions. Uh, so I, I do think in the early years, it's very, very important to, to be authoritative to the point where, um, you know, this is A, this is the sound and shape, let's move on to B, and we, we can't be too loosey-goosey about that. Yeah, I think that's fair. That's very fair. I do think we have to praise parents. I know one uh, mom 
Giles is an excellent tennis player and did video work with this player. And you know, on our podcast, we've, we certainly have um, had more interviews with tennis coaches than tennis parents. Yeah. Although I go back to Rob Krychek, I mean, his son just became ranked number one in the world in doubles. Wow. And um, we had another parent, Joey Johnson, and his son is back from a mission and he's on his way to UCLA. Wow. But I, I, I would say this is, I, I again, get the coach, you have the coaches be mad at me, but um, I think it's much more, if you, if you evaluate what the parents are doing, Big Britain used to always say socioeconomic functional. Now this is in tennis. If, you know, he'll say a lot of tennis pros couldn't afford their own lessons. And I think that what a lot of parents, if they stopped and thought about it, and don't have it be, one want it to be a circle back and be a negative, but um, I think you have to pay your dues much more with what parents do for a living versus in tennis. And then in tennis, well, you know, in your, your sport, basketball, for, for people to be connected as a basketball coach, generally they have to be higher, which may be always in this country, they have to be connected with higher level of education. You know, to have a degree, have, a, have say a master's degree. You're not gonna be a high school coach or a college coach if you haven't gone through academia. But in tennis, you know, you can just hang up your shingle. You don't really, it's like, oh, I'm good to go. Um, but no, I think that's interesting. Uh, uh, it circles back to the, the simplicity. I, I do think that, comment on this is that a tennis player and you can talk about other athletes unless they're a renaissance kid and they're doing say music you know theater for the most part they have school and they have their sport yep and the parent has a lot more especially if they have multiple siblings yeah and you know the kids is basically you got to do your you got to do your homework and you got to train yep um but i don't think parents uh enough um and I, I think, you know, right here in this area, Coco Goff, was being, she's being, um, her homeschool teachers, her grandmother one and grandmother two. Um, you know, a lot of times parents are newcomers to the sport. Right. And if they were talking more about their life and just maybe their struggles in, you know, in academia or to climb the ladder. Yes. Uh, why don't you just comment on that a little bit? Well, I, I completely agree. And I, I do, um, I want to go back for a second to what you said. Because I think it's really important. I think that's like one of the hardest parts about, you know, p- talking uh, from my position, talking about parenting and coaching. You all do like great work. I mean, and you have a lot to do as well. And so I, I just want to reiterate in a positive way, like the amount that you do, it's, I mean, that's why you're a parent. Like, it's amazing. (laughs) It's amazing what you do. And I, you know, again, going back to, you know, I recognized it when I was younger with my parents and, and all that they did for me and drove me around. And I was fortunate enough to where my dad could drive me to all the tournaments and we'd have girls from my team that would ride with us and stay with us. I was very, very, very fortunate. Um, and I think definitely back then, I, I could have showed more appreciation as an athlete. Um, but I will say now that I, I, I do recognize all that they, that they did for me and all that parents do for them. And it is that the parents are the biggest fan. Um, so just wanted to, to comment that cause I think it's really important, especially talking about all this stuff. It can be, um, 
it could be, I'm sure it's off putting at times for parents or coaches to listen to, you know? Um, but anyway, so going back to, to your question, let me like regain my, let me think about this, what you had asked. Um, hold on. Silence. Silence. It's good. I'm trying to jog my memory. I can go back. It's so just, it was, it was about, yeah. Could you go back for me with, um, you know, the parent, a couple points. One is, uh, it's especially they're, they're newcomers to the sports. Yes. And, um, instead of talking about the sport itself and, you know, they're not that sometimes they're not that much further along, even though they're, they're the adult. They're not much that further further along in the sport with the experience in the kid, right. but they're just reflect upon um, other experiences, other challenges. You know, yeah. yeah. I mean, tennis is, a, and I keep going to tennis, but sport is a microcosm of life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I I agree with you. I think that, like I said, I agree because you don't even have to talk about what what happened to you in the past. You could talk about your day. You know. You have a work meeting that you have to present at and you're feeling nervous. Tell them about that. I feel nervous about having to present. I have a meeting with my boss. I'm feeling nervous. I had a crappy day and, you know, I I probably didn't do as much work as I could have and it was just a bad day for me and I'm, I'm beating myself up about it. I, pro- I, I want to do more. I'm going to tell you the next time when I am having a bad day, but I do the amount of work that I want to do. Little things like that. It doesn't even have to be about, about the past. And I think, again, that goes back to that modeling technique of being open with your kid and teaching them, you know, the life lessons that you're going through on a day-to-day basis um, and, and applying it then applying it to tennis, you know, like, Hey, you know, those days where you just don't want to show up to practice, but you go anyway and you give what you have in the tank and it might not be that great of a practice. I had a work day like that. We got to figure out how we can motivate each other, you know, make it fun. Um, because that, that, uh, that being genuine like that and showing them that it's, it's normal, uh, and that you're going through that too and working through that as well is going to make them feel one better about it, but then also learn about it, learn how to manage it and brainstorm with you. And then they feel like they, you know, they have more say in, in their learning and, and the conversations and, um, it makes it a lot more fun. Like I have this, I did a, I did a session the other day on what's in your control, what's out of your control. And every session that I do at the end, you know, we look at the lists or the, you know, the activity I said, okay, so Taking a look at all this on the board, you know, what do you, how often do you think you focus on the things out of your control? All the time. The answer is so much more than the, more than the things that are in your control. And I remember I was working with this kid, young kid, and he go, he goes, yeah, all this stuff. I, I focus so much on the things out of my control. And, you know, he seemed a little defeated by it. So I said, I go to him, I said, so do I. Every day, every day I have to remind myself of the things within my control because I start to get caught up in the things out of my control. And he looks at me, he goes, still, (laughs) I said, yes, still. So, and I think, you know, in that moment, it was just kind of like, 
One, normalizing his feelings about like, oh man, like I, I stink, but really you don't because I go through it as well and I'm an adult. Um, and two, that you, you can continue to work at it. It's a, it's a continuous process. And what was really cool is mom was in the session too and she said, so do I, so do I. And he's like, oh man, you know, like, wow, okay, okay. Um, so like just little moments like that too. Yeah, no, that's good. It's great. With a question I ask parents quite often, um, I'll, I'll ask kids too. Your parents, you don't have to raise your hand, um, but do your parents ever get mad? Have your parents ever been upset with you? And it's 100%, you know? Yeah, of course. And, and there's some kids like, oh, really? I wouldn't, you, know, you don't do everything wrong. I, you, why would your parents get mad at you? You're like the perfect kid. <laughs> and um, so to ask parents, you swear on a regular basis around your kids? You never swear around your kids? Oh, you do swear. Because I'll ask kids that. Do your parents swear? Do their parents ever swear? And it's like, <laughs> like the one, you can just tell the reaction is like 100% swear. But then it's when they swear is, and that's a question to ask parents, it's a problem if they swear over bad results, you know, losing. Mm-hmm. To me, I think it's, I would say, it's A-OK once in a while, you, you get their attention, but if you're swearing over their poor attitude or their poor effort. You know, they're just not putting energy forth. Um, here, here's a quick story on, on profanity. Actually, um, coaches, their heart rate, will, they'll relax when they swear. They just, they just let it out. Yeah. Like, hurrah, you right, know? Right. <laughs> so there, there is that side of it. But, and, and I apologize if I've said this on the podcast before, but this is a story where I had two cameras set up and I, um, had the coaches, it was an educational workshop with parents, players, and coaches, and I had the players go outside. Mm-hmm. And I had the parents stay in the room. And, you know, there's maybe 30 people, two cameras, and I intentionally, the, the SHIT word, and I say it three times loud, I throw my keys down, and we're, but we're filming the people that are watch, observing me swearing. Yeah, yeah. And then I turned around and smiled. I said, okay, we got you. <laughs> and I mean, there was uh, one mom and the, she, you know, she had her hand on her mouth like this and it, it, it was like a movie scene. Yeah, like like yeah. this is something really bad is happening. <laughs> and then I said, you know, I, I just did that for a reason because you're, you're not going to go to a tennis tournament and not hear profanity. Right. And, you know, not that I condone it, but okay, this is, this is just how it works. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I spent a lot of time in the Bible Belt, too. And, you know, growing up, uh, my parents were devout Catholics, so Catholicism. I was just, you know, God is everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's a side story to that, too. Um, we grew up right by this. There's this ice hockey rink, and, the, and, the, and behind it, there was a cemetery. We had, we had a mile run, a two-mile run, three-mile run. We spent all sorts of time in the cemetery. And this goes way off on a tangent, so... I'm the youngest and my father passes away and I'm 27 years old and it's in the wintertime. So you don't, you don't bury people in the wintertime. Mm-hmm. And they, my mother said, well, he'll be buried in such and such cemetery. And I said, really? And the, the cemetery was the Catholic cemetery. And I said, well, I think he should be buried in the name of the cemetery. He should be buried in the evergreen cemetery. And my mother kind of looked at me and I said, um, well, I went to Catholic school and I said, well, the nuns are everywhere. The, the nuns, the nuns told me that God's everywhere. I said, God's everywhere. He's in that evergreen cemetery. 
So my mother didn't say anything, but my father was buried. You know, I have a brother passed away. They're buried in the Evergreen Presbyterian Cemetery. But but coming back to the Bible Belt is, um, yeah, but I do think that young players especially is that, you know, someone's a bad person. Someone is going straight to hell in a handbasket if they swear. Um, but that level of intensity, I just think that you could comment upon that. That, that's it, that, fit, that goes with one parenting style versus the other, right? Is that the... I, I feel like that's more communication. <laughs> yeah. I feel like any parent, yeah, I feel like depending on the person, you know, they could fall under any parenting style, but they could be, you know, cursing for whatever reason, right? So, yeah, yeah depending on, like you said, if it's about, you know, they're ca- cursing at the child for, you know, performance or for bad attitude or, or whatever, whether, or versus, you know, they're in bad traffic and they're cursing at the, the cars around them in the bad traffic. You know, I think those parenting style, I think that just depends more so on the person. But again, kids are always watching. They watch, they are watching and they are, they're so smart. Like I am, I mean, before I started doing this, I was nannying and the two-year-old that I was watching, I couldn't believe like the things he would pick up on. I'm like, what? So they are always watching and they're ta- they're like sponges. Even even when you're, you know, even teenagers, sponges, because they're just trying to figure it out. Just trying to make sense of like the world and who they are and what's going on. And so, yeah, when they see that, okay, this is this is okay behavior. I can do this. And then when they get in trouble for doing it, then that's where you know, the confusion, confusion starts, but that, that was one of the sayings that I heard. Um, don't do as I do, do as I say. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure where uh, Jim Lair uh, picked this up. Um, I don't think he necessarily picked it up from, you know, academia, formal study. Uh, you know, maybe it's an original idea. But this first time I heard it was uh, years ago that tell a player, and they could be part of a team sport, go off by yourself, you know, whether, you know, get away from people, just hey, go for a jog. And, you know, you go yell, scream, swear, get it out of your system, <laughs> you know. Um, and, you know, I think that's the same thing applies to parents is that, you know, one of the best things to do is, is go for a walk. Just get yourself away from it. Get it out of your system. But, but not, not, not confront the, you know, and many times it's not winning or losing. It's a behavioral problem. Mm-hmm. And I think that goes back to timing. Like what you're saying, like sometimes it's better to cool off, go for the walk, let it out, process, and then come back to the conversation later when you've cooled off and your athlete's cooled off. Or again, if it if it's another relationship, you know, teammates or um, coach, athlete, whatever, you know, depending on the situation. So validation, validation. This is from, uh, your course. Yes. Almost a sentence, uh, not written in full, but better decisions and processing emotions leads to more, a more fulfilling life. Why don't you comment on validation? Yeah. So validation, when you're using validation, you are, um, showing the person that you're talking to that their feelings and their thoughts are of importance and of value. OK, 
Okay, what I like to say is when you're invalidated by someone, it's like stubbing your toe. It hurts like heck, and it's super annoying. <laughs> um, and so to, to validate someone, um, it does. It helps them to, one, recognize their emotions, to feel like their emotions are, are of value, like how they're feeling about a situation. It makes sense, right? It makes sense that they're feeling this way, and that's, that's normal. Um, and then two, because that they are learning that, hey, okay, it makes sense that I'm feeling this, the person that I care about that I'm going to with this, these feelings and these thoughts are telling me that it's of importance, um, they're going to be more emotionally intelligent, right? And that goes with empathy as well. Um, empathy is a deeper understanding uh, and an ability to share the emotion with with the athlete or with the person that you're talking to. And so with validation and empathy, you're going to help your athlete to become more emotionally intelligent to where when decisions need to be made, we're not making them off of the way that we feel, right? I think that's a big, big misconception and takes the um, – our, our – <laughs> we as humans, it takes away from us, right? We make a lot of decisions off of the way that we feel. And we're told that's that, that is what we do. And we don't have to do that. And so the more emotionally intelligent you become, uh, the better able you are to recognize your emotions, to sit with your emotions, to process your emotions so that when you need to make a decision or behave in a certain manner, you are not acting in that emotion. You're choosing a decision that aligns with your values and the person that you want to be. Validation increases trust and safety. Yep. So going back to that, right? Like I said, with, uh, by allowing your athlete to recognize, hey, I, your feelings right now are of value. The fact that you're feeling nervous Yes, it makes sense. I, again, I feel nervous when I have to present in front of my boss. It makes sense. That, that little statement right there shows them that, hey, my nerves are important. My nerves are of value. And then they feel safe going to you. If you're invalidating someone, they're going to go to you less and less because they're afraid to tell you what they're, they're feeling. Um, they're afraid to tell you what they're experiencing because they don't want you to judge them. They don't want you to think of them in a negative manner. They don't want you to um, tell them what they're feeling is wrong uh, and that they shouldn't be feeling that way. And that's hard to do because that's what, that's what it's always been. It's what it's always been, you know? Um, but the more that you learn how to, again, validate uh, it's gonna open. It's gonna open up the doors, and the athlete will start coming to you more for sure. I think this is a powerful statement from your course. Um, validation brings down the intensity and makes the conversation more productive. Yep, it takes down the walls. So the, as soon as you invalidate someone, walls go up. Anger increases. The emotion turns from, um, you know sadness or embarrassment or shame or whatever it is to, I am shutting off right now because you just completely, you know, made me feel bad about feeling bad or 
I am angry and I'm going to lash out at you. You've just thrown fuel into the fire and let's go. Right. Um, and again, a lot of <laughs> it's a parent athlete course, but a lot of the stuff can apply to any relationship that you have from coworkers to your partner to your kid. So that's the, that's the really cool part about this course. I like that. As far as far as walls, I, I told players many times, you know, they're building their own wall brick by brick. Yeah. And, you know, they're protecting themselves. And in some ways, okay, yeah, we, we know there's situations where a kid has to do that. I, I sent a, an intern, somebody who spent some time here recently. It wasn't that long. It might seem like a long time to the intern. It was just two months. One of our older students, who now is a head coach of a college program, he played at uh, Trinity. There's Trinity in Connecticut, Trinity in Texas. He played at Trinity in Connecticut. And the squash coach has won many, many national championships. And it's like Dave Schwartz, who was on a couple of weeks ago. I mean, he's won a bunch of national championships. I think, okay, I'm going to stop and listen to this guy yeah. or this gal. Anybody who's won, it's not so easy to win a national title. Mm-hmm. But the gentleman, uh, the squash coach, the title of his book is Run to the Roar. And it really comes from how the lions hunt. Okay. And the old lion can't run very fast, but they have the, the loudest, scariest roar. Okay. And the antelope run away from the roar. But my question to you is, um, don't you think that we can go too much to one side? And, and there should be a roar, though. And the kid, just like a Sharapova, my father's yelling at me, but it's like a, a football coach and a quarterback on the sideline. Mm-hmm. And they, there's intensity and there's a hundred thousand people in the background and the, the, yeah. the noise is over, just, just over the top. Right. But the quarterback's just looking at the coach nodding. Uh-huh. What, what are your comments run to the roar? I think that a lot of times when the coach, when the, there, there's some positives with the intensity, there's like, like there's a negative and a positive, positive and negative, there's two sides to the story. Yeah, definitely. Uh, don't you think sometimes that, you know, the parents uh, can lower the intensity too much? Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. And I think, and that's where you have to find, find the happy balance. But I think that, you know, so I think you can have validation and empathy and still have the roar. Right. Um, if I dislike something that I don't know, my sibling does or my partner does, and we're having a conversation about it, there's so much more that goes into it, my tone, my nonverbals. But I can say, you know, I, I, I understand that you felt this way and that it bothered you and that's how you responded, but I feel hurt about it and I don't appreciate that and I don't feel respected. To me, that's a roar. Um, I, don't, I don't think you need, I mean, if you want to yell it, you can, you know. Um, but I think just just that comment there is enough to be to be a roar um in my i don't know in my opinion so yeah with the intern uh run to the roar yeah is to go back to find your comfort zone yeah and and instead of trying to break the comfort zone mm-hmm. um yvonne was telling me earlier that you know he had, had read and um, heard perhaps it was a course that you remember just, but what I remember from the conversation was many times there's no change without drama. Could you comment on that? 
Yeah, I think that's a light bulb going off, right? I think that's a light bulb going off. Um, so, again, like the comment that I just made, I think that makes makes all the difference. Silence, like changing it up. You know, if you're someone that gets in the car and doesn't stop talking to your athlete and then all of a sudden you just like don't talk to them in the car, they're going to be like, what is wrong? Like what's going on? Right. Um, vice versa. And I think, again, I think parents know their athletes best. I think again, awareness of the parent is important, but for me, I sought out, I mean, I was working, I I sought out, I wanted to, I wanted a coach that was going to yell at me. I did. Um, now I will say my travel coach, he knew me to where, like, if I beat myself up, he'd just pull me out of the game and that was enough. He didn't have to yell at me. I'd go sit on the bench and he knew I was beating myself up enough that he didn't want to flip side. I worked with a trainer one-on-one, my mom, bless her heart, 6 30 AM, get there at 6 AM courts. Right. And he was in my face screaming at me constantly. And also making me yell every single thing that I did for every drill to get me to communicate more. But he was in my face and I loved it. I loved it. Did I break down and cry? Yes. Multiple times, especially when, you know, I had some tough stuff going on in my life, but I, I saw, I wanted that. I wanted that. And so, but I think, you know, depending on the person, depending on the athlete, they're not going to be motivated by that. They're going to shut off. They're not going to. And then it's, okay, how productive is this? So I think that's what's so important about, you know, any adult working with a child or building a relationship with a child, understanding that athlete and figuring out what's the best way for you to, to connect with them. Is it the roar? Like, my, my, his name is Steve. <laughs> Coach Steve. <laughs> Coach Steve, he was a roar, and I loved it. But then Coach Larkin, he... He knew. I mean, he would throw stuff on the sidelines. He'd throw his clipboard and things, which was like the scary part of it. But he would not yell at me um, because he knew. And then when he knew I cooled off, he'd put me back in. Um, so, yeah, I think it just depends on like understanding your athlete and figuring out what works. And I think that's like experimenting and exploring. You know, it, do- it doesn't have to be like one way. It can be, okay, I'm, I'm, yeah, we're getting in the car and I'm nonstop talking. This doesn't seem to be working. Let me try something else, right? Uh, I'm getting in the car and I'm screaming at them. This isn't working. Let me try silence and just kind of figuring out what, what really connects with them, them the most. One thing I tell tennis players, and group dynamics is a factor, but, um, you know, the coaches maybe running four courts, six courts. Mm-hmm. And there's a lead coach. You know, maybe there's just one coach. I, I've been called many things. One is uh, that word that penetrates glass. You're in traffic and you make a mistake and you just tell what, that one word, two syllables, what the person's calling you. So I, I've been called that not uh, based on my traffic skills, but just you know, how I'm coaching tennis and this and that. But Andy Fitzella started our podcast. You know, he'll call me Rambo. And... It was circumstantial. It was certainly the 80s. Uh, it was the program I was running for tennis teachers. But I had to have a whistle on because I was really directing 100 people at the same time. Wow. 
and you definitely learn to uh, just say go. You know, <laughs> go. You tell somebody to do something, and they're asking questions. Just go, go. And um, but I do think that the peaceful warrior, quieting the mind, is that um, you know we apply to the sport. You grew up in basketball. Is that there's all this noise on the outside, but it doesn't need to be noise on the inside. Mm-hmm. And but I, I do think that's where. Um, those conversations with a child, I think that you, if you comment on this, where the, many times the question's asked and the kid is, like you said, they're processing, they, the parent has to just wait for the answer. Yeah. And a lot of times they just can't. No. It's so hard to do. Like I said, I was trained to do silence, like in grad school. I, I mean, all these skills that I learned, I took a class, it was literally a semester class where that's all we did and we were, you know, learning and we were recorded and we were, you know, constantly getting feedback. And so, I mean, it's tough. It's so tough. Um, and sometimes even still I have to catch myself cause I just want to, I'll be in sessions and you know, again, I have to read the athlete. If it's a thinker, if it's someone that is a thinker and they're more quiet, you got to give them time. You got to give them time. Some people Inter- introvert, same thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Some some people are like da 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 da. You know, they're talkers, and and as soon as you ask a question, they're answering immediately. And you know, but then when when they stop and they have to think, okay, let me give them some silence and see, because this is this is like hitting something for them, right? Um, but yeah, silence is huge, 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 and it's very difficult difficult to do, especially when you want the answer and you know the answer. <laughs> I think or you know the answer you want. <laughs> you mentioned that phrase that we've all heard, a uh, light bulb moment. Mm-hmm. I think it's so important to recognize the parent and the coach for the player to know, hey, this is a light bulb moment. And, but I think many times they miss it. Yeah. Yeah. And then going to, again, I think communication's just like, I love communication. And I wish that, I wish that it was taught more like in school. You know, growing up, we learn all this other stuff, but we don't, we don't, we don't learn how to do the one thing that we are constantly using <laughs> throughout the day um, and in our lives. But besides the point, um, I just it's it's just so it's so important, and <laughs> and it's just. I mean, I lost. Honestly, I lost my train of thought because I I just get so caught up in the fact that communication is just something that. We've never, we've never learned really how to do. We never learn, and then we get, we wonder why we're like in these controversial, like you know, um, conversations and and not feeling understood and all this stuff. And it's like we never, we never learned how to use silence. We never learned how to how to actively listen to people. Um, we just go off of what we learn from our parents and what we, what we make of in school. And even in school, we're just sitting and staring at the teacher that's telling us what to do. I want to come back to this one line as well. It's in the notes. But um, years ago, I was told, and it's a great way to remember things, is make everything a story. Well, Brandon Flanagan, who we both know really well, mm-hmm. um, he recommended that I read the book Championship Teacher. And one thing in that book championship teacher never calls on the kid who raises their hand and then when you you call on someone who doesn't raise their hand yeah and then 
they say, and they, very quickly they're going to go, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And then the, what you do as a teacher, and this is obviously in a classroom setting, is that you move on to the next person. You say, oh, and you, but you just say, okay, we'll just wait. And from that book, it, this is, you know, that's where I got that idea from is you just wait and it doesn't take very long. You say, well, no, but just wait. You have the answer and you know they have the answer, but they're, they're too nervous. They're too insecure. I mean, yes. they, they, they don't want to speak in front of the groups. So, oh, no, yes. we'll just wait. Yes. And it's, it's, it's amazing that very seldom do they not have the answer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to come back to um, this right here. Um, the, um, I just made a mark on the notes here with validation. Yes, yeah, show interest and take them seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think too many times the interest is on the result. Yep. Yep. Right? The, uh, let me ask you a question about basketball. As a basketball player, I mean, how much afterwards was the discussion among your teammates on, you know, the officiating? Didn't go your way, bad calls. Oh, all the time. Yeah. All the time. Yeah, one thing, tennis players with cheating, you know, the way the human eye works, you're going to find out even people who are not really cheaters are going to make some bad calls. Uh, but there's, there's people that cheat so bad that they, they actually see the ball out. Mm-hmm. They want to win so badly, <laughs> but the um, but I, I say, well, no, cheating in tennis is definitely bad, bad, bad. But actually, it's, it's amazing how many players cheat themselves, mm-hmm. and what they cheat themselves when it comes to nutrition or flexibility and doing all these routines and such. Um, with, I touch a little bit more on modeling, and then we can get into feedback and the reinforcement. Yeah, so so as I said, modeling is so powerful because you're able to to show them what you mean. You know, it's one thing, a lot of again, we're not sometimes we're not very direct in what we're we're talking about and the receiver, the person that's receiving the message just interprets it the way that they think, but they don't actually know what you mean by it and then they go to try to do it and it's like Nope, that's wrong. And it's like, what? That's what you just said. But no, that's so it's kind of like in tennis. You're demonstrating the action, right? You're showing them the technique. I see you do that a lot with like the shadow swinging, have the kids like stand up in the front um, and show it. But that that's like same with, you know, parenting or teaching your athlete how to point, but pointing it out as well. You know, like if you do something where it's like a behavior that you want your athlete to do, point it out. Did you see what I just did? You see how I like picked myself up after I, you know, I don't know, dropped the dish. (laughs) Something as simple as that, rather than like getting upset with myself. Um, Or, you know, I I use it a lot in my in my sessions, uh, especially the group ones. Like if I don't, if I make a mistake or I forget about something or you know, model the fact that I'm feeling nervous when I first start with a group, but I work through it and I use the techniques that I talk about and then it just kind of flows. Um, so just really anything that you can do, but making sure to point it out and working it, working through it with, with your athlete so that then they know, 
oh, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. I see it now. Like I, I know now. I know what is wrong. Um, and it's also like a nice check for yourself too. Once you start to like take notice to like things that you're actually doing. You don't really think very often, well, the model parents, um, the model, you know, the model tennis player, I, the five E's of player development, we go through it where it's enjoyment. It's not a little hit and giggle fun, but do you enjoy the process? Enjoy the grind, the work, yeah. the ups and downs, just the whole, the whole package. And then you go to education then experience exposure, then a really, you know, safe overall environment, but having the exposure, um, you know, it's amazing that people, you know, people, people just need to, the parents as well. I think, okay, how big is your circle? How, how big is your lens? Yeah. And, you know, okay, you're, you're playing uh, in the early age groups, you know, 12, 14 years old, you know, and you've only played, um, well, you know, okay, you've been to some tournaments where they've waved some international flags, but is that, is that really, have you really played tennis at an international level? Um, with... With the feedback and reinforcement, uh, um, there's the movie. I'm trying to think of the name of the movie. Uh, the drummer. Um, two, two, two worst words in the English language to put together are "good job." I actually know the name of that movie. It's very intense. I think I've seen. I think I've seen clips of it. Yeah, it's, it's with the drummer, and yeah. you know, I've had, I've had musicians say, you know, it's 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 over the top, and it's never really quite that way. But it was, yeah. it's 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 definitely a great movie we're seeing, and I, I, uh, I will, I'll write it in the, I'll remind people when we put this podcast up. I'll think, I'll, re- I'll research what's the name of that movie. Yeah, but don't say good job. Yeah. Why do you? Why do you? It says right here, don't say great job all the time. All the time. Why? Because that invalidates the athlete if they don't think they did well. And then you just add to the fire. So a lot of times what you see is, is they don't think they did well. And they get off the court and that's your immediate response. You did great. Great job. And they're like, no, I didn't. Right? Like, or they just shut down or walk away or whatever. Um, and so it's, it's, again, reading the body language. If it seems appropriate, say it. But if not, then it's more like exploring, exploring what they they feel and what they think about how they did. Um, and that could be as simple as, and if you know it was a tough match, say it was a tough match. Wow, that was really tough. That was a hard one. Like, I can see that you feel upset about it. Like, something as simple as that, I can see you feel upset about the match. And that's not saying that you don't think they did well. That's just... Again, validating the experience. Um, and so that that just helps them to like, it takes down the wall. It's like, yeah, I'm not happy with the way that it went. Um, yeah. We had a podcast, um, Steve Robertson, who I worked for a company that he worked for. I was brought in to train the tennis teachers and you know, he was a staff pro many, many years ago, but he, he like yourself, um, has been in the kid business for a long time. Yeah. And his book is on Gen Z. Oh boy. Aliens among us. <laughs> and, um, it, you know, it's, it's, for example, to, to stop and think about the microwave and years ago, um, you know, it took so long to prepare a meal. Yeah. So a lot of times the woman didn't, you know, it was just, 
circumstantial they didn't work outside the house because you know there's no such thing as uh you know going here in florida Publix and buying a pre-cooked chicken you know right. it was like okay i've been to countries where still to this day you have to you buy the chicken and at least they've plucked the feathers for you but that's about it wow and um but, but with that um times have changed and you know now the telephone you know it's like how much screen time does someone actually have but i find that many times the the the, the athletes are not really around their parents like they used to be mm-hmm. and even wealthy families like when i was a kid you know go back to the dinosaurs days but you know one tv and you know, three generations in one room right. watching a sporting event. Yeah. And there's so much education. Right. And now, I mean, I know tennis kids for the most part, they don't even watch tennis. They, they can go off to their own room. It's very passive. Yeah. You know, it's not like they're playing basketball in the house because, right. you know, they have their phone to go to, their iPad to go to. Right. But um, I really think that, changes the communication process i think years ago if you and i like what you said about the parent saying hey you know i had a bad day at the office yeah and you know that's an expression that that's gone away yeah you know you, know, you could actually say that to a, a a 12 13 year old tennis player hey you're having a bad day at the office yeah. and they to me they knew where you're coming from yeah. i think now some of those expressions and that comes back to technology and there's just not enough time spent together mm-hmm. and spent together doing the same things. And, and it's, it's, and also too, is that, you know, well, your world is your world. My world is my world. We only come together when we're watching you compete or we're at one of your practices. Right. And then everybody just kind of goes off on their own. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, they can be at a table in a restaurant and it's say it's a mom and dad with two kids and all four of them are on the phone. So they're at the same table, but as you said, they're they're not really in this, they're not engaged and they're not in the same place. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I do think those uh, those type of things um, are a factor. Mm-hmm. With talk about um, leading to complacency and dependence, you know the feedback. Yeah. So. Um... I think that could go two ways, you know, if they're, if you are constantly telling them good job, good job, and they're needing reassurance from you, that's going to cause dependency, right? It's going to cause dependency um, because they, they need that from you. Um, also on the flip side of that, if you're someone that is um, there again, so like in the, in the, course, I talk about the difference between feedback and reinforcement. Feedback is instruction on things that you did well, you did wrong, um, and how to correct it or find new solutions, whatever. Reinforcement is, um, it's reinforcing behavior. So you are doing something to where you are creating a pattern of behavior or changing a pattern of behavior. So you could be giving feedback, but depending on how you're giving that feedback can be reinforcing it in different ways. So a parent could be like, you know, talking to their athlete about their attitude on court and the way that they deliver that message, message could, could, um, 
reinforce the behavior in different different ways. Uh, so, so going back to your question, right? If you're constantly giving feedback, that is, um, again, great job, great job. You're doing great. You're doing great. You know, and they're always looking for that. They're going to be dependent on you. Flip side, you know, the looking over constantly at mom and dad to see if they're upset with you. That can also be dependency. They're looking for reinsurance, reassurance that you are not upset with them. So then, and that's like where they start to fear the failure. They start to fear letting mom and dad down. And that's that dependency, that feedback and reinforcement that they're getting from your nonverbals on the, on the side of the court. Um, and looking to you constantly, it's like, okay, am I in trouble? Was that good? I don't know. You know, like constantly looking over. So, uh, I have to get this in because I don't know if we've ever had a podcast where we haven't mentioned Vic Braden, but Vic Braden is so positive, Santa Claus, jolly guy. But he used to always use this every day. It's not a golden day, and I do think that uh, you, cheerleading is important. To be uplifted, you know, like if someone, I like the expression, if you can't be for yourself, who will be? Yeah. You know, you got to get to the point where you can cheerlead yourself through it. But I do think there's too much rah-rah at times. Yeah. You know, like I got my Starbucks coffee and we're here and this is great, great, great. And, yeah. And, it, it, and it's not. Um, but yeah, telling it like it is. I do think in the, in the industry I'm in, edifying, it's just amazing. I just tease and. Um, yeah, you're great. I'm great. We're, we're both great. Isn't this great that we're both great? And it's, um, it's just over the top. Yeah. Um, uh, ask your child how they should be punished. That's an interesting one. And that you kind of said this earlier, but that would be for, well, it would be more so for older. You could experiment it with younger athletes, but that's, it's giving them options. So saying, okay, you know, if the, the punishment is, um, you know, you could choose between no phone for a week or no tablet for a week. I don't know. I'm, I'm just those, thinking. Those, those would be strong. Those, <laughs> yeah, those would be strong. Those would be powerful. Um, yeah. Or, I mean, you know, you could even go no tennis for a week um, or no phone for a week. What's the punishment? You know, what do you choose for what you did? And then that, that gives them choice. Um in that, and I think what also is cool is you could flip it and do rewards as well. Okay, if you, you know, if you complete your chores, you can get ice cream or you can get, you know, a $5 gift from Target or something. I don't know, just throwing stuff out there, but, um, or extra time on the court or dessert after di- whatever it is. And then they get to choose what their reward is. Um, I know it works well too when you guys, you can sit down with your athlete and say, okay, you know, let's figure out a couple options for if you do something disrespectful um, and what are some consequences. Let's come up with a few options. Let's come up with a few options for rewards. And when those things happen, when the consequence needs to happen, we'll sit down and talk about, okay, which one, which one are you choosing? You know, same thing with the rewards. That just gives them a little bit more autonomy. And, um, yeah. So it's very much like setting up a contract. 
Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah, you could, rather than just saying, okay, no phone for a week. Bye. With, uh, yeah, I think of Bjorn Borg, mm-hmm. where love tennis and he's misbehaving. And, you know, I've read six weeks, six months, but he was pulled out of the game. And then he came back. And from that point forth, he was the Iceman. Wow. You know, he was, you know, he was someone who just was out of control as far as his, his court behavior, his conduct. Um, a player who became a very good tennis player, obviously lesser known than Borg, but Elliot Telscher, um, you know, I remember Brady used to tell that story that was for six weeks. One of our students, um, you know, he had the opportunity, Harvard saved a spot for him. And, you know, so that means that you're an achiever from a very early age. So yeah. as a student athlete, he, he turned Harvard down. But, um, you know, the, the father, the family, the father, the mother, you know, they came to work with us. We did video work. And then from that point forth, they did it on their own. They, wow. they never worked with a coach um, wow. um, outside of that. And, and uh, you know, they came to see us several times. Uh, when they were younger, it was it was more times per year. Mm-hmm. But why that story comes to my mind is that there was many times where his kids were not playing tennis. Yeah. I don't think, for the most part, you know, parents will. They're a bluff. Mm-hmm. You know, in other words, that um, you know the the storm, you know, the ranting and the raving, and then in the end, the storm settles and there are no consequences. You know, they just are told. Okay. It's just noise because the parents were angry and screaming, but they didn't say, oh, um, you know, I, I do think there's a lot to be said. Like to ask you this, um, is treat the child, treat the athlete like it's real world. I mean, what would happen if it was the workplace? Yeah. You're going to be demoted. You're going to be promoted. Mm-hmm. What, what do you think of that comment? It's an interesting one. I think that's a, that's a lesson learned pretty quick. <laughs> that's a pretty quick lesson to learn. Um, but yeah, figuring out how to do that if you want to do that. Um, but it's definitely, that would be a quick lesson for sure. Um, ice hockey comes up on these podcasts and, um, a one way contract, you know, now you have these marquee players and they're making so much money and the players are making more than the coach, at least in, in other sports, the, um, Tennis is upside down, backwards, inside out. It's like Patrick Mortagolu paid Serena Williams to coach her. It's like I have to start hitting my head against the table. Wow. That um, in pro tennis, Dimitrioff is a great talent. People looked at his uh, resume. The first seven years, he had seven coaches. Wow. You know, so the pro go, well, I, it's not working out. I think we'll go in a different direction. Right. But in ice hockey, a one-way contract, they move the decimal. So, you know, years ago, if someone was making, you know, four hundred thousand dollars, whatever the number would be, you go to the minors, you make forty thousand. So there's no, it's like, it's like there's no pep talks. You know, it, this is the way it is. <laughs> this is the way it is. Um, you know, I think that's where your sport, basketball, is that, you know, you could. It's good to have a, a timeout and bring the get out of the game and talk to them, put them back in. But that connection between the bench and the brain mm-hmm. is, you know, hey, you're not doing this, you're not doing that. Um, but the one you comment on the parents, the parents don't really, when it comes down to punishment, they don't really have a bench. In other words, if the, the child's not, 
you know, the opposite of expectations or disappointments. They're not, um, they're not handling their deal of the bargain, which is just great attitude, great effort. Yeah. I think the bench would be taking away the sport depending on the athlete. I'm pretty sure my parents tried to use that on me too. You know, if you keep doing this, you're not playing, you're not going yeah. to that tournament. You're not going to practice for a week. No basketball period. I fixed myself real quick. <laughs> so I guess that would be the, I guess that would be the bench in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. I made a video today for a young player. I talked about golf. I talked about baseball. I talked about basketball and you know, I know the, you know the, the play. A lot of tennis players are around golf. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and an American kid should know basketball. Yeah. They, they really should. <laughs> and uh, years ago, it was a given. It wasn't fair for for women years and years ago, but it was a given that people knew baseball. But with uh, in basketball, I think the number is three hundred. That it, at the end of a, a college basketball practice. I mean, Kobe Bryant, in college basketball, 300 foul shots. Then you practice is over, you got to make 300. The managers are there pushing the balls back quickly so they can get it done. Yeah. And then when you stop and think about it, that's what the moms or the dads are doing that in the driveway. So the kid could just practice more shots, more shots, more reps. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that standing in one place, you know, that's where I think we tell tennis players, you need to have the golfer's mentality. You need to have great technique. That's one topic to review is technique and skills. Yeah. Um, with the parents, um, don't you think that there's really not much that they kind of bypass that? They, they're not, it becomes so emotional. They're not even thinking about the technique. They're not really thinking about the skills. They're just thinking about like the child. They're thinking about the outcome. Definitely. Yeah. And I feel, I feel like that ties into the first lesson of the, or the first module of the, of the course, you know, there's so much, um, investment and hopes for the kid and knowing how much they work and so when the results aren't there you can get really caught up in the result that you don't even talk about and then too you know like you said earlier some parents are even new to the sport you know neither of my parents my mom my mom didn't play sports and my dad was a wrestler played baseball he didn't do any basketball you know he never, he never played it, I don't think, not that I know of. Um, so they didn't know much about it. Uh, and you, my dad would try with court awareness and, like, cutting and angles. He'd try to help me um, and talk with me about that stuff. But he was a wrestler. But he was a wrestler, yeah. Well, if he was a wrestler, I mean, I have respect for anybody who was a wrestler. Yeah, he was a wrestler. I remember the wrestlers uh, up and down the ropes and wearing the, the rubber suits trying to break you know, make weight. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my oldest sister at one time was a school teacher and she just was beside herself. She had these, you know, people that wrestlers that they haven't eaten in three days or just just amazing. Yeah, it is. It is. With, um, I'll ask Yvonne to send you this and we'll put it on Facebook. We have a clip. You get a kick out of it. It's from our course, tennis intelligence applied. It's, Tennis kids drop hitting forehands and backhands into a basketball hoop. Interesting. And the, the message really is in tennis, your target is um, just like basketball. In, in, in basketball, your target is small and elevated. Mm-hmm. 
It's an optical illusion, not like tennis. I mean, two, you obviously grew up where, okay, two balls went through the hoop at the same time. Yeah. And But it looks like the, the rim's the same size as the ball. The ball, yep. And um, it's amazing to watch how people, especially how they're teaching the forehand today. It's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> and um, and, and the, the kids drop hitting balls. I mean, several of them went on to power five conferences and played and there you go with but that's just part of the, your sport where the bas- basketball you could make that standstill shot you know from what is it my my lingo the top of the key is it what 10 feet up and 15 feet back and um you just see the technique of basketball players always tease it well maybe not Shaq, but it, it's pretty much you know <laughs> nowadays yes the technique pretty, is yeah. Well, you know, palm to the target. And um, with, uh, that's probably a key word to use. Um, you know, we always talk about the air target over the net and the, the target on the court. But why don't you just summarize with your course, uh, um, parents of champions. Um, I mean, was, there's obviously keywords and buzz phrases, but the target is, you know, day by day, inch by inch. I mean, there's so many things where, um, people are missing the target because they're, it's so much about, you know, winning and it's so much about, uh, results and, um, you know, you've heard it all, you say it all, the process, I mean, all the great mind vitamins, but, um, your target has been parents, um, is to summarize, uh, and tell people how to get to the course and, and and I uh, emphasize a few key, point, key points. I, I really think it's great to have you on. And um, parents would be wise. I do. I do tell kids they, you know, you, your parents have wisdom. You don't. You just have wisdom teeth, <laughs> because wisdom is knowledge with time. But the parents would be wise, and wise goes with wisdom. The parents would be wise to take your course. But why don't you just, you know, um, just summarize a few key points, and we'll call it a day. Yeah, definitely. So it's really, um, the course is to self-reflect, become more aware, um, find direction in what you truly care about, uh, and in the parenting style that you want to have, and then learning communication skills to have more of those open and safe conversations, uh, while, you know, again, being aware of the, your stuff and what truly matters to you with your athlete uh and the you know by doing that and slowly working toward using those skills and showing your values and things like that it's going to lead to trust more confidence um on both ends uh, and better communication more open communication so yeah you can find it uh if you go to my facebook uh which is at coach nicole period e same thing with Instagram at Coach Nicole period E, and you go into the bio. You could click the link in the bio. Um, you can find the course there. It'll say Parents of Champions course. Uh, Dave Fitch, who was a guest on our podcast, the oldie goldie Harvard coach for years and years. Uh, he, he says, "I oh, he loves podcasts." You know, we have these lengthy podcasts, and a lot of people said, "Y'all keep them going." Uh, you know, we have these one minute Instagram video clips. Yeah. Um, but with talk radio, 
I can remember wanting to uh, really be in on a college hockey game. And you know, the only way was to listen to it on radio. And my son Connor was born in 1990, so he's, he, it's not that he's that old, but I can remember he'd be playing some matches and you couldn't watch it, but you could listen to it, you know? So they were streaming the sound and he was playing doubles one time. And it was just amazing, not to mention who he's playing with. He, he played doubles with quite a few people. I know he won uh, uh, Doting Dad. He won three tournaments in a row on the the lower minor league circuit where he had a different partner each week. Wow. And, but he was playing with someone and he just heard, and he missed a backhand volley. <sighs> and he missed a backhand volley. You know, we mentioned Braden all the time. To really study Braden is like, just with your course, okay, that's a very powerful sentence. Write that sentence down and let's go through that one sentence. And that's where, with your course, not just, just go through it once, but you should really go through it more than once. Yeah. And I'm, you know, this is my opinion. Um, you, you could comment on this is that the, the parent and the player, I think would be best to go through some of it together. Okay. Let's just go through that one segment yeah, and go down the road together. But yeah, this radio, it was just radio and he misses a backhand volley and he misses a backhand volley. But coming back to studying Braden is it's not so easy to do today, but you used to be able to just go up to a TV and turn a knob and the picture would be totally, the kind you just, the picture would be totally black. Wow. And then you could listen to Braden teach. Wow. And then it's okay, now we're going to study Braden. We're going to study the tape of him teaching. And we're going to uh, watch the tape, but with no sound. Interesting. And, you know, to really study Braden, you know, and he passed away. I remember so many people were so nice. Yeah, yeah, I knew everything about Vic. And, you know, they could just gesture with their hand on a forehand or a backhand. And it's like, you just knew they really didn't know much about Vic. Yeah. As far as what he did with uh, information, but what do, what do you think about the car being a classroom and the people doing your course together? Definitely, I think yes to both. I think just turning on the videos um, on your audio and listening to it uh, is huge while you're driving, and then also um, going through it with your athletes also huge because then they they know where you're coming from. Um, they can also learn some things as well. And you could have some really great conversations around it too. Um, coming back to the silence is golden though. Just to sometimes just like, I'm just going to go for a walk and you know, I'm not going to listen to a podcast. Some people are just constantly listening to music, which is fine. Yeah. But um, it doesn't take th that much to get through. We say it all the time and hopefully we're sharing golden nuggets for people's tennis treasure chest for a three hour podcast takes 1% of someone's week. It, it, it's like, okay, 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there. Right. But no, I'm glad to hear you say that uh, the car should be a classroom. Yeah. Come back to uh, Rob and Sherry Krychek. Uh, it was just this summer that they were here. The parents were here and speaking to uh, a group of our parents and players. But um, they did just that. They made the car a classroom. And, and I think also with, uh, you know, in, in tennis, I'm first one to say that we, we really need to turn to other sports. Yeah. And you can learn from, from all sports. Yeah, I agree. But uh, this has definitely been a learning session. Um, Nicole Erickson, the Viking. Give me the <laughs> high five. Wave goodbye to the camera. Goodbye. Podcast 151 in the books. Thank you for listening. Come again. Come again.